There we go. That's Jewel with an interesting take on a Christmas classic or a holiday classic, a winter classic. Uh, Tim, thank you for coming back again. Only one week until the big day now. One week until the big day. A week-ish, depending when we uh, get this show posted. Yeah. Um, anyway... Um, so we got a few a uh, few more interesting things to talk about. Are are you uh, in the uh, same vein that everybody else in Lafka is, where you you just kind of want to go work on an Amish farm for the next <laughs> month and a half and well, not be around anything that plugs into the wall? Well, what I definitely don't want to do is watch a movie. Oh <laughs> my gosh, sure. it's unbelievable. Uh, um, uh, you know, I, I think you have the misfortune of of being on our show. On I film am. Week. Well, here's the here's the good thing. Yes, I am on Film Week uh, on Wednesday, the twenty third. We're going to do. Doing it live, okay. uh, and uh, you know, talking about Christmas movies. But the night, the nice thing is, I've already seen everything that we're talking about. I had to see, I, I did. I had to see it for voting. You that's know? right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, the Hateful Eight and Joy, and uh, the uh, the Will Ferrell film, Daddy's Home, you know, which I didn't see for voting, but I uh, but I did see last week. So uh, you know, it's yeah, it's all. Uh, I'm uh, the Revenant. Which, oh, the Revenant, which, which is weird because I'm like the Revenant only opens on Christmas. I feel like I saw that a year ago. It feels like so long ago. Well, we get overwhelmed by all of those screeners and movies yeah. and everything for about two weeks. Uh, it is in particular it is much longer actually. It is intense. First screener we got was in October. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah, Grandma, so yeah. you know it's been a while. Yeah, it, no, you know it. It, it the, the the unfortunate thing is, and I wish more people. I wish more distributors understood this, is that we only have so much time. It's easy to think that we're going to prioritize their screeners. But you know what? I mean, uh, I I don't think a lot of people in the group saw Trumbo, for instance, because that came so late. It arrived so late in the the cycle. It was like a few days before we voted, which at which point people are just burned out and they don't want to see anything else anymore and they've made up their minds and, and... I wish, you know, IFC doesn't even send out screeners anymore. They just send you a bunch of links. Here's all our films. Uh, you know, here are the Vimeo links. Go go dig them up And then yourself. a reminder that you have that link every now and again. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then Magnolia basically just burns uh, a generic DVD of every single one of their films, and they wrap some twine around it. And, <laughs> and, and put it carry in a, a pigeon. And put it, in, put, it in a, put it in a brown paper bag, and they throw it at you. And then they say, here, find something. It's like they don't even care. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's sort of, it would help if they sort of call these things out for you. I like the presentation. I like it when I see that they've put the effort into the packaging and all of that stuff. But. Yeah. You don't have to send me the script, although they do. Yeah, which is weird. Do we, do we ever read the script? <laughs> no, you know, and I'm, I have like a large collection of these things now. And, and, but you know what's odd is that I will admit that there was a time in my career as a film writer uh, that I would have loved that. Yeah, I would have loved having the actual script for some of the movies you oh, know, sure. 25, 30 years sure. ago. Uh, but at this point in history, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's already. I'll tell you. Well, anyway, uh, you know, going to start off by going through some British television, so that when I come back with Mark, uh, he doesn't he doesn't beat me up about any of this stuff. Uh, from Image, Restless, which is a super super cool uh, spy thriller set during World War II, originally aired on the BBC, released by Acorn. 
Uh, I'll tell you. I, I'm. I'll tell you why I'm partial to this because I just love the people in the cast. First of all, uh, one of the cast members is Charlotte Rampling, who mm-hmm. Lafka gave their Best Actress award to for 45, 45 years. years yeah. Did you see that coming? By the way, I did not see that coming at Neither all. Neither did I. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing in the room. Kate Blanchett, totally on board. Uh, you know, Alicia Vikander, totally saw that. Saw that she she'd kind of be uh, in, a, in, in, well. a, in a couple of different places, frankly. And, and there were you know, and and there were there were other actresses that were sort of in the mix in the in the room, and then suddenly. Charlotte Rampling, Charlotte Rampling, Charlotte three points, Charlotte Rampling, three Charlotte. Rampling. And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, I mean, I love Charlotte Rampling, but yeah. I didn't think anybody saw the movie. Yeah, it was a neat movie, and yeah, uh, but not, but not a great movie. Although an excellent performance, she and Tom Courtney, terrific, uh, outstanding. But you yeah. know, yeah, Lady in the Van, you know, yeah. the Dame was yeah. like anyway. Go on. Well, anyway, uh, Rufus Sewell, another actor I absolutely adore. Never thought he really got the big shot that he should have had, but he's still in the mix, and he is a great actor. And then, of course, uh, Michelle Dockery from uh, from Downton Abbey, Michael Gambon, who can do no wrong, do no wrong, and of course, the lovely Haley Atwell, who uh, just anchors this thing beautifully. Great World War II spy thriller, uh, almost too good for television, and uh, it is it is based on a novel uh, allegedly that I have not read, but uh, and you know still really really nicely done. So uh, that is pretty spectacular. And then um, also we've got a uh, a place to call home seasons one and two. This is also from um, Acorn. And uh, we include this with British television because Acorn is primarily uh, uh, British television uh, releases, but this is set in Australia. So it's 1950s family drama in Australia. I wouldn't call it Downton Abbey-ish. It's sort of more Dallas and Dynasty-ish, but it's, uh, it is really, really good. The acting is terrific, and uh, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's kind of addictive in a, in a sick, twisted way. Uh, 13 episodes on, the, uh, on season one and 10 episodes on season two. Uh, which makes for about a single season for a United States American Hollywood Network show. And uh, really, 1950s Australia, kind of a fascinating time. Yeah, that's sort of like post-war period. Uh, in, in their not own, something that we get. Not something that we get. And also, uh, very much, you know, we, we, uh, we forget that other nations have had their own very unique kind of civil rights struggles. And the 50s in Australia was a big one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the really, Aboriginals and, yeah. and all of that, yeah. So that one, so that's really good. Uh, if you are a fan of Doc Martin, as many people are, I six, am. six early seasons plus the movies. Uh, this is the complete uh, series one through four on the first package, series five and six, and the movies on the second one, all in one box. Uh, Martin Clunes, great actor, another one of those great British actors who just never leaves television because I guess that's where his bread is buttered. But man, he's good. Uh, the Doctor Who fans will, will know Martin Clune goes way back. He was yeah. in one or two Doctor Who's, like in the seventies. I think he was during the Tom Baker period. Yeah. On Doctor Who, love wow. love Martin Clune. Fantastic uh, surgeon who's working in this little tiny town uh, of Port Wen. And uh, you know, it's it's just the relationship of a of a guy who's a general practitioner and some some unusual people. It's got a you know, it's better than stuff the uh, better than stuff like Northern Exposure yeah. by far. I mean, this is just better better surroundings, better location, more interesting people, and a great actor. Never so slightly more sincere, not yeah. quite as metaphysical. Yeah. And uh, then from the Athena line of, uh, of Acorn, the story of women in power. This is a, uh, a really extraordinary documentary written and presented by Amanda Vickery, 
which is uh, comes at an interesting time. There's a film that was sort of in the awards mix for a moment, Suffragette, which I didn't particularly care for, but mm. uh, you know, a lot of people have liked it, so it may wind up with an Oscar nomination or two. But uh, it kind of goes into the uh, into a similar area. This is much more broad, um, e you know, sort of feminist equality history. But it certainly touches on suffrage and uh, and all those things, and uh, especially gets into Nancy Astor, uh, who was the first female MP, and a lot of really sort of the interesting uh, history of women's rights uh, in in the UK. Really, a, a really solid documentary by a really good scholar. So, the story of women and power. rest of these here. Um, the uh, Ken Stott collection of Rebus, um, which is based on these crime thrillers by a novelist named Ian Rankin. So many novelists that the, in the UK, they never get over here. This is from Image as well. And uh, uh, I can't say that I'm, I'm really a huge fan of Rebus. Uh, Ken Stott's a good actor, but he, it's, it, this feels very, I don't know, it feels kind of familiar in a lot of respects. Uh, it's you know, really gritty. It takes place in Edinburgh and uh, I mean, you know, it's it's it solid crime stuff, just not remarkable. Uh, let's see. As long as we're on Martin Clunes and raving about what a great actor he is, he also stars in uh, Arthur and George, uh, which is a very interesting. Um, uh, this is a this is an interesting idea here. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, yes, uh, actual Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, and uh, and his in his in his work while he was writing the Sherlock Holmes series. Uh, and he got involved in an actual case, a case to prove that a young man, that an actual young man was not guilty of a crime that he had been, been accused of. It's a fun, it's a fun little PBS uh, yeah, series that I, that, I quite, that I quite enjoyed. Um, with, with, with Charles Edwards, who's an equally amazing actor in this. It's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty solid. And, and uh, you know, Martin Clune is just, I wish he'd do a feature or two. What's really neat do. about it is that he's not playing Sherlock Holmes. He's playing Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but he's yeah. doing what Sherlock Holmes does, which is unravel a mystery and applying a lot of uh, Sherlock's skills as he as he does so but he's not actually playing Sherlock Holmes clever idea very clever. very clever idea uh, DCI Banks season three this is a, an ongoing really really good procedural uh, and uh, you know better than probably most Hollywood procedurals I think so uh, you know it, it, interesting relationships good actors um, the Widower, this is on Blu-ray. This is with uh, Reese Shearsmith, Sheridan Smith, uh, Archie Punjabi, and John Hanna, the wonderful John Hanna, who just keeps getting better and better but never shows up in anything stateside these days. Uh, this is actually about a, a, a guy who's lost his wife and is so emotionally racked by it that uh, it winds up... This is set in New Zealand, by the way, so this is another one that's kind of, you know, empire but off the, uh, off the beaten path. Anyway, um... The how, how do I even say this without spilling the beans? Well, let's say he's lost his wife, trying to rebuild his his life, and uh, in the process, winds up creating a, falling into a, into a bit of an intrigue that is uh, not what he bargained for, and certainly not what he wanted. Uh, in any case, the widower Reese Shearsmith, really, really good, and uh, the Great Fire. Uh, which is uh, an interesting period film uh, based around the event in 1666 when a bakery in London caught fire and uh, essentially almost burned down the entire city of London. Oh. Uh, 1666. Who knew, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of uh, like that cow in Chicago back in it, the Yes, exactly. Anyway, uh, production value is solid. It doesn't... It's You can tell they're working with a limited budget. You don't ever... Quite, they don't they don't burn down London. In other words, they don't. 
They, but but uh, they recreate it pretty darn well. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, then the last few here, real quickly. Uh, as long as we're uh, we've we've talked about Hoyle's War last week. Yes, outstanding. Well, if you don't want to have to get series. the if you don't want to have to get the whole Foils War, there is set eight that is available individually uh, with Michael Kitchen. So if you've been collecting them individually and you're like, oh, that stupid box set, well, you you can still get. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that box set went through series seven. I'm not mistaken. So this picks up where that leaves off. Uh, there we go. I That's, think it is. Well, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the add this add this to the uh, to the mix. Then uh, this includes three mysteries: High Castle, Trespass, and Elise. Pretty great. Uh, Michael Kitchen, another one like clones that we are Tim and I are big fans of, and Mark fails to appreciate. <laughs> and uh, then uh, Peaky Blinders with uh, Killian Murphy and Sam Neill. Um, this is a uh, this is a crime drama, uh, basically dealing with a with arms dealers in uh, the city of Birmingham, and it's you know it's kind of a gangster mob thing. Mm. But it's you know Killian Murphy has that creepy face; it's not quite yes, right. Yes, yes, yes. You know. yeah. And the the British series Death in Paradise, which is set in the Caribbean. I, I like the series. Aside from having really neat little detective stories that they work good through. Good cast. Every really good cast. Decent good cast. This is season three. One of the things that this series managed to do is it managed to pull off switching main characters between season two and season three. Uh, they actually uh, do an interesting thing at the end of season two so that when we start season three, there's a new lead in Death in Paradise, and the, show, and the show rolls on very, very well. It's actually a pretty good, pretty good undertaking. And then the last one, uh, British TV, is a thing called Britain's uh, Best Canal Journeys. Uh, I know you're thinking, oh, great, yay, yippee. Uh, no, there are actually canals all, all over England. And uh, this guy, John Sargent, I guess he's, a, he's somebody who's important, but uh, he just takes you on a tour of all these amazing, cool little places in, in the UK, and it's wonderful. Uh, I had no idea. You know, you always think, well, I'm going to go to, you know, London and, and, and Edinburgh and, and, and go home. Mm. That's, sort of, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's sort of what most people do. They don't realize it's a big frickin' island with a lot of stuff on it, and it's really cool. And, uh, you know, like Leeds and Liverpool and uh, Kennet and Birmingham and a lot of these places, it's just there's a lot of really fun little off-the-beaten-path places. So if you're, if you're a travel junkie, you'll just be amazed how cool this is. A lot of fun. Dorset. Yeah, a lot of great, a lot of great, a lot of great places. Outstanding. Uh, does that does that finish out our little finish, tour of, yeah. of the UK? The UK. So let's let's get into this giant uh, <laughs> monster of things that uh, we got in front of you. We there. have a stack of really interesting movies here, though, including this first one that I have: Vigo Morgenstern and Reb Kateb in this movie called Four from Men. This was an outstanding film. He's been doing uh, he's been doing uh, because he is fluent in Spanish. Yes, you know Vigo Mortensen is fluent in Spanish, so a lot of people don't realize he's sort of has hit his artistic stride here. He figures I've got a pile of money from the Lord of the Rings movies. The royalties will essentially keep me in the lap of luxury for the remainder of my days. So now I'm going to go make some real artistic movies where I get to actually be an actor. Unfortunately, I have to do it in Spanish because yeah. the opportunities are not there in English. It's so far and few between. He's been going to Argentina and elsewhere south of the border to make some really interesting movies. This is outstanding. Set in 1954 during the Algerian War. He's, yeah. a, he's a farmer, an expatriate, and he's, yeah. and he's being forced to take a prisoner uh, to a camp. It's something that he yeah. does not want to do. And as he, and as he does this, he, he learns this man's story. 
Uh, and it's just it's just another one. Thebe was was another great one. This yeah. year. Timbuktu was ja, another outstanding one. Zhao Zha is another one that he was uh, he was in uh, entirely in Spanish Argentine film. Okay. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, that's from Kino Lorber. That's from Kino Lorber, and uh, really uh, really quite a quite a fascinating film. Uh, you know he he it, this is this is we should say this is in French, Arabic, and Spanish. So uh, you know the uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of multilingualism going on here, but I applaud him for doing these films. I, I think they're I think they're absolutely great. Good for Vigo. Uh, recently released, this was an interesting film. I had a chance to talk about this on our on Film Week on the radio program, The Girl King, uh, from Mika uh, Kurismaki. An interesting story about about uh, Queen Christina, uh, the, you know the 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 Swedish queen, uh, whom we all know, beginning with her young life as a six year old girl. This is a girl whose crazy mother. Kept her dead father, uh, King Gustav, lying in state for two years. That is insane. And would make her kiss her dead father's rotting face every day. Oh, that's so sick and For twisted. two years. It was very, very twisted. Of course, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about Queen Christina, which we all know, of course, is that she was gay. Yeah. This is the least interesting thing about Queen Christina, as it turns out. This mm. was an extremely sophisticated young woman, very good friends with Descartes. Um, all kinds of turmoil over over whether she would go with Luther. I mean, uh, you know, Sweden, uh, Protestant country, Luther, uh, but she was born a Catholic, right? Uh, and they made her convert, which is not mm. something that she wanted to do. Later, she had another epiphany and uh, and and converted yet again. Uh, she led her country to freedom and to uh, and, and to to settle several wars that they were involved in, involved in by the time she was 22 years old. She sued for peace by waging war hmm. and won both. She was an outstanding and very interesting human being. This film gets to a lot of that stuff. Interesting sort of a, 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 a production. Not a lot on this disc here. Um, actually, no bonus features whatsoever. If you're a fan of this particular history of Europe, uh, I would say check it out. The Girl King Mika Kurismaki. Very cool. Uh, I want to make mention of a few documentaries really quickly, and I forgot. There is one more uh, British title that I didn't uh, make mention of. This is also from Athena, the uh, documentary line of Acorns, Empire, the Complex Legacy of Britain's Imperial History. Um, there are a lot of British history docs out there and, and compilation docs, and I, I, I love almost all of them. Uh, but this is uh, – most of them are really, really long. And this is l- not as long as most, but it's six hours still. It's still <laughs> – it's – you know, this is one of the short ones. This is the uh, the, the abridged version. They're all very long because England has a very long and varied history. Anyway, um, this is actually uh, quite a an interesting and thorough look at the uh, essentially the the modern or relatively modern empire, and uh, it looks pr- it's par- basically from Queen Victoria forward. So it's just about the last 150, 140 some years, which is uh, really extraordinary how that shaped the world. And you know, the uh, the host of this thing, uh, Jeremy Paxman, who is very well known uh, on the BBC, he really, really gives it uh, the treatment that it deserves and makes it very accessible and goes everywhere and talks to everyone. It's a, it's a wonderful backdrop. So for British history buffs, Empire. Empire. And then, um, did they explain how the, in, in that one? I wonder if they explain how that German family. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Became became king British, and yeah. queen. Yeah. Changed that last name. All you have to do is change your last name. That's all you need to do. Windsor. 
Uh, Amy is the uh, the document the amazing documentary by uh, a, a an extraordinary filmmaker that I'm a huge fan of, Asif Kapadia, mm. who is a British filmmaker, made a film called The Warrior some years ago, which I'm a huge fan of. And then, of course, he did uh, Senna, the uh, yeah, the yeah. Senna documentary about Senna, the race car driver, and he has followed that up with another amazing documentary on uh, Amy Winehouse. Which won our uh, our documentary award yeah, with Lafka, yeah. and it is a fine fine film. It is a, a sad film. Uh, this is on Blu-ray and uh, ultraviolet from Lionsgate. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 a really good doc, but it's really hard to watch. It's tough to watch. You know, um, Amy Winehouse, of course, who who joined that club. I think they call it the Twenty Seven Club. Um, uh, not too terribly long ago, yeah. sadly. And I got to tell you, uh, during the period of time when Amy was on the scene. Amy Winehouse was something, uh, someone, a performer whom I appreciated more than actually liked. Now, this is because I'm of a certain age, and most of the music that Amy Winehouse was doing was music that I uh, either literally knew because she was doing covers or understood as yeah. music from my youth. And, I, and I, you know, I dug all that music the first time I heard it. So I didn't pay as much attention to it when it was actually happening. Yeah. I see this film, and, and, and I see this young lady, and I see how uh, her world, anyway, just sort of totally and completely let her down. Yeah. Her father let her down. Her mother let her down. Everybody. Every man she ever met let her mm-hmm. down. Uh, and it, it generated a great deal of empathy uh, for Amy Winehouse. Well, it's got a great commentary with uh, Asif Kapadia, along with all of his, his, a lot of his production team and some, uh, some additional performances, not included in the film, never before seen. Uh, really, it's and most of her hits. Most of her hits are most of her hits in the movie. And then another doc. I'll turn it back over to Tim here in a second. The Hunting Ground, which was uh, which I'm I'm partial to. Uh, our friend uh, when I made when we made Schlock, which you were involved in yeah, as well Ray for Ray Green, a uh, very dear friend of Ray Green's, um, is one of the editors on this film, uh, Doug Blush, who does an amazing job. So we're we're always partial to work that Doug does. And uh, The Hunting Ground is a Kirby Dick film. Kirby Dick, of course, who's done many fine documentaries, yeah. including this film is not yet rated. Uh, the uh, the hunting ground is essentially about the rape epidemic on American campuses, and um, it's controversial f- film. Very controversial because a lot of people contend that these statistics are doctored or faked or aren't representative, or they they chose the wrong universities, and there's not really as much rape on American universities as as the statistics suggest. Yeah. Um, whether or not that is the truth, I, I my feeling on this as the father of a daughter who will be in a university someday is. If there is any rape on American campuses, <laughs> it's too much. And worthy and worthy of a documentary. The yeah. thing that is true is that the testimonials of all of the young women who appear in this film are, 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 are true and yeah. profound and, yes. and, 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 and yeah. shattering. The numbers, it seems to me, doesn't really make any difference. This is a problem. Uh, yeah. Like the previous film, The Invisible War, which is yeah. about the, uh, the, the epidemic of rape yeah. in, the, in the military services. So the exact numbers, notwithstanding, a very important film. And uh, you know the this is again in the news actually because the, uh, the the there was an attempt to and I should have put this into my notes but the uh, the current uh, NFL star he was uh, oh, number yeah. number one draft pick uh, just last year yeah. while the film was being released is accused of rape in the film and uh, he is uh, he is still you, you know he tried to stop the film with legal action and this, this is still very much in the news. So, uh, the, and, and what's interesting is, is that the, the uh, suggested cover-up that went on in Florida, because football is so important yeah. to them there, to the university, to the alumni, to the community, where cops even will protect a university, 
you know, before star player, yeah. a star player, you know, it's just football is so important to so many people in so many schools and communities that, you know, these things are sort of br- swept away and not really addressed by the people who, who should do it. And yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's really a hard hitting film. And, in, you know, it, the, the criticisms leveled against it, I think, are almost cosmetic because, you Unfortunately, know, those criticisms sort of knocked that movie out of the awards contention that it yeah. would have been in. True. Uh, you know, it's even by bad. our group uh, had, had those, you know, I, yeah. I think so anyway. I agree. I uh, agree. Um, I got one over here. I need one yeah. from Cohen Media Group. Yeah. A company that we love very much for a whole bunch of reasons. In the Courtyard. This is the Catherine Deneuve, Gustav Kern film. This is a neat little movie. I haven't yes. seen this one. It's funny. It's just so, 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 so funny. It's about this guy. Uh, he, you know, wannabe rock star for most of his life. One of those guys, you know, not a failure exactly, but just never quite made it as a mm-hmm. rock star. And mm-hmm. eventually just all builds up on him. He can't handle anymore. He has to get a different occupation. He finds himself as the manager uh, in this old uh, Parisian apartment building full of a bunch of old Parisians, <laughs> actually, including uh, a Catherine Deneuve. And he, in, in, he endears himself to these, to these people in a particular sort of way. Uh, that joie de vivre as mm. a rock star would have. And it's a really sweet and funny movie, a bittersweet movie, uh, and uh, yeah, excellent uh, excellent output. Blu-ray from Cohen Brothers has a few neat things on it, including an interview with the director, uh, Pierre Salvadori, uh, a comedy drama released uh, last year. It needs to be in the courtyard, Catherine Deneuve. I actually met Salvadori very briefly when I moderated uh, the uh, a panel discussion at Colcoa some years ago. He's, he's just wonderful. Absolutely charming, sweet, self-deprecating, completely humble. Great, great really, timing. Does it, does it, does really it, talented. Does, has he done anything that opened in English that opened here? I don't, I don't no, know. no. All French films. He's, yeah. he, knows, he, knows his, he knows his skills. Yeah. He's not going to do that. And that's okay with yeah. you. Yeah. A uh, trio of uh, docs from uh, first run of features. Uh, the new Rijksmuseum by uh, Uke Hugendijk. I'm sorry if I've mutilated your name. Uh, this is in Dutch, English, French, and Spanish, and it is essentially about the uh, renovation uh, over 10 years ago of the uh, the great Amsterdam Museum, the Rijksmuseum, uh, where, you know, uh, Rembrandt and so many other great uh, artists have their their masterpieces hanging. And uh, it's uh, it's really, it's, it's not about the art. It's about the renovation of the museum and what an unbelievable effort this was and the challenges and how much it went over budget and over time and all of that. It's really, a, really pretty great. Uh, just it's so fascinating. And yes, it is partly about the art, but... It's about the importance of the museum as well as a place to, you know, uh, to patronize it and solicit it and, uh, and display it. Uh, 1971 uh, is a, uh, another first-run features documentary um, that, it, that tells a story that you would, um, a lot of us probably are not that familiar with. It is, uh, it's about an event that took place in March of 1971 when eight people broke into the FBI office in Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, and um, stole a whole bunch of documents that they then uh, released to the world to show what was going on, uh, all these covert activities at the time, and uh, you know what the, what was going on with domestic spying. It's really uh, a very disturbing story, and uh, the uh, among the extras, they they include a conversation with Edward Snowden, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of a a great get to be honest. But it's uh, that this... brought to light information about COINTELPRO. Yeah, 
uh, that was going on here, infiltration of the Black Panthers, infiltration yeah. of us, infiltration of, uh, of uh, the Southern Leadership Christian, right? yeah. Yeah, the, Dr. King's yeah. organization, yeah. Yeah. brought to light information about all of that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite an event, and we've sort of forgotten about it, but I think the fact that they went and got Snowden forces us to go... Hmm. hmm. More things change. More they more they stay the same. And sometimes these people used to be called heroes. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know. Not, yeah. Not, not necessarily anymore. Yeah. Um. I, I've got a new one here from Strand Release. It's yes. Called Borrowed Identity. I happen to have seen this film too from from Aaron Rickless, wonderful. Uh, oh, the actor, Israeli filmmaker. The Israeli filmmaker, yeah. Lemon Tree and Syriana Bride and so on. Lemon Tree is so good. Yeah. So, so Syrian Bride too. This is a pretty good one too. I, I, I like this film quite a lot. It's about a young uh, Palestinian man. He's very, very bright, teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, an Israeli citizen. Uh, he's an Arab boy, is actually what he is. He's an Israeli citizen. There are lots of Arab Israeli citizens there. Yeah. And because he is bright and is a citizen, he's able to go to a fairly posh Israeli school, uh, even though he's technically from the other side of the other tracks. And it's about how he manages to negotiate that world, the difference between the cultures and the languages, and, and just being uh, you know, an Arab boy. Uh, who's in this very posh Israeli school and who's bright and deserves to be there, but doesn't always feel right there given the things that are going on in Israel. This is a 2014 film, so a lot more has gone on in Israel since he made the film. But he's always trying to look at the bridge between that divide, yeah. that sort of Palestinian-Israeli divide. That's what he's always trying to do. Great filmmaker. And at least he's making films that manage Lem- to Lemon Tree is such a fine film. Oh, yeah. So good. Well, from, uh, from Israel to uh, Cambodia... Uh, the Storm Makers, which is uh, directed by Guillaume Suan, but it's uh, produced by Ritipan, who is sort of the godfather of uh, all Cambodian cinema. Uh, and it's only about an hour long, but it's, uh, it's about human trafficking in Cambodia. It is deeply depressing and very upsetting. And, uh, you know, I have a, I have a relative who's going to be going to Cambodia very soon, so I'll be sure and uh, let her know all about this to ruin her trip. Uh, no, this is, uh, this is basically about the, uh, how many poor Cambodians, and especially young Cambodian girls, are, are sold as sex slaves and prostitutes into surrounding uh, countries. It is, uh, it is really, really upsetting and uh, very powerful and a lot of filmmaking packed into an hour. And uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't leave you feeling very good. It leaves you feeling angry, which is the whole point. So it, it makes you, uh, you want to go out and change things. Mm. Uh, powerful stuff. Uh, I've got Code Unknown, a, a film, a Michael Haneke film from yeah. from around two thousand. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's 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 simple, it falls someplace in between the sort of films that we generally expect from Michael Haneke. It's mm-hmm. not that extremely sort of a uh, white ribbon sort of you know yeah. extremely uncomfortable funny games sort of film. It's not mm-hmm. one of those per se, but it is an uncomfortable film. It, interesting now, even though this film is from two thousand, because it's about it's about immigration. A uh, young man, he's a former guy, he goes off to Paris. He, he gets angry at his father. He goes off to par- Paris to hang out uh, uh, with his brother uh, uh, at his brother's home. And his, anyway, his brother's away covering the war in Kosovo at mm. the time. And this frustrated young man has an interaction with, with a North African man, a beggar, and uh, who's on the streets, and they have this interaction. The young North African man gets arrested. Mm. And the ramifications sort of work their way back through right. his relationship with his girlfriend and everything else, just because of the sort of arbitrary thing that he does. Mm. Uh, and it's a very, very, very bright and um, uh, and piercing film in that way. Michael Haneke, this is a uh, restored 2K digital transfer uh, that is specifically overseen by by Michael Haneke. Um, it's, it's a very, very good movie, apropos to the day, that's for sure. 
And uh, then I've got a, uh, an amazing doc here that was Oscar nominated last year, uh, The Square, which is all about uh, the, no, Janu the, the January Egyptian, 2011 yeah. people's movement in, uh, in Cairo that essentially uh, changed the entire landscape of, of the Middle East. I mean, we all, we all sort of remember that, the, the, uh, the great democracy movement to, um, at that time that, uh, you know, to remove Mubarak. And, of course, you know, things after that took a very ugly turn with, uh, you know, yeah. the, the Muslim Brotherhood. And yeah. then, you know... They get elected, and then they get overthrown, yeah. and then and we are still in the midst of all of that turmoil. We are still in now. that. But it is... So the history is still being written, but this is the beginning of it. And uh, it is... Uh, this is a beautiful Blu-ray uh, of an amazing film that got a very deserved Oscar nomination. And my hope is that uh, he will go back... Uh, the filmmaker will, and uh, and I'm not even going to pronounce his name because I will completely destroy it. Uh, but a, I'm I'm hoping he'll go back and make a sequel documentary to this mm. that takes us from there to now, yeah. so that we can we can so that it becomes more of a piece and it it becomes a more complete document. But in any case, uh, lots of extras in here, superbly uh, educational, really extraordinary, very hard hitting, really a fine film. Probably my one of my favorite two or three favorite docs of that year. Uh, another great film from Cohen, Two Men in Town. This is a um, oh, this I is the original one. one, the original one, yeah, uh, with Gene Gabon uh, and uh, uh, Jose Giovanni. This was, um, you know, this was of course remade most recently with uh, Forrest Whitaker, yeah. uh, and uh, yeah, very differently set in the United States. But uh, the um, this Alain Delon, Jean Gabin, really a great, great late performance from Jean. Yeah, Gabin. yeah, really, really, really a cool film. Uh, you know, the this is a 4K restoration. Uh, feature-length commentary by uh, Jean Gabin's biographer Charles Zygmunt, and uh, it's just everything that Cohen does. He, despite the fact that Tim and I are biased, that we've done commentaries for Cohen, they really, really, really do just kill it with the uh, with the transfers. They do a beautiful, beautiful job of curating and uh, and just giving the, the, their movies the extra sheen on Blu-ray. It's really, really very nice. So uh, yeah, the the idea here basically is Alain Delon is a, is a former safe cracker. And uh, uh, Jean Gabin is the, is a, uh, a social worker who's sort of trying to help him get on the straight and narrow. And uh, it's you know it goes into some very very dark places. It's a fine film. Fine fine film indeed. One that I don't really know actually. A film called One One Eyed Girl. Looks like it's got some really great uh, notices here. Uh, it's a film about a um, uh, a young woman um, uh, who gets involved. Uh, well, actually, it begins with this the psychiatrist who's haunted by the death of a former patient, and he gets involved with these people, has a nervous break breakdown, and, and stumbles across this sort of charismatic cult leader. Um, uh, it looks very, very interesting. This particular uh, package, Blu-ray, commentary with writer-director Nick Matthews uh, and a few of the actors, uh, and a featurette. Uh, could be a nice little intense film. Won uh, the jury's prize at Dark Matters, which is a sort of specialty thriller, horror thriller sort of film festival, 2011. So that's called One-Eyed Girl. Looks pretty good to me. Uh, and then, if I may talk for one moment about one of my <laughs> Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Oh, my goodness. I love this movie. I, I kind of do, too. Even though it's irrational and illogical and makes no sense, it goes into ridiculous detours. It's I a perfectly it. ludicrous movie. But I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I, I had so much fun. But one of the fun things about this movie is that our Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise, is yeah. playing with his age a little bit in the movie, <laughs> acknowledging that you know the clock is ticking. Yeah. He, he just about can't do any 
of the super spy stuff that he's supposed to do in this movie. No. He, he fails at every one of them. Yeah. And then the British, the British actress, whose name I cannot remember at the moment, yeah. has to save him every single time. Every single, <laughs> time. every single time. It's a really, really neat movie. Well done. You know, what's smart is they're in on the jokes a little bit. It's, yeah. it's not a campy movie in any way, shape, or form. Not campy. Uh, you know, drama, action, yeah. all of that. But they're a little bit inside. They're a little bit well, in on the joke, and they get it done. This, you know, this, this franchise has been around for a decade now, plus. Yeah. And uh, so you, you sort of have to own that. It's not like James Bond, where we're reinvent, reinventing it with a new actor ever, you know, about every decade or so. Now we're entering, you know, Tom, Tom Cruise, is, he's been doing this a long time, and we're copying to that. And there is a, that, that great subplot that they want to discontinue the, uh, the, 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 the team yeah. and, you know, put it under congressional oversight and all of this stuff. So Alex Baldwin a, having a lot of fun. This has yeah. about 45 minutes. It says 45 minutes of high-octane bonus content here. Uh, so you get all that stuff, including a featurette and, uh, and a whole bunch of other good stuff. Two DVD sets, uh, Blu-ray uh, DVD set. As much as uh, I think we both enjoy that, i got to say Minions is an absolute catastrophe. Uh, <laughs> this is a horrible, horrible film. It never works when you try to oh. take the sub-character yeah. and, and give them their the own movie. sub-character character. That doesn't work. And they also lost the original filmmakers of the original uh, Despicable Me films who are on to other and bigger and better things. So now there's a whole new team that's trying to take the sub-character and make it their own and invent a sense of humor and a, and a style that they weren't necessarily a part of. And it is just a horrible film. Basically, all, what this tries to suggest is that the, the, the minions have been around forever from the beginning of time, and they, they're always looking for a leader, and they sometimes choose the wrong leader. And anyway, it, uh, this is sort of the, the, the prequel from hell and uh, it, it's it's their first adventure in many respects I don't know it's just not funny and it, it it's bends over backwards to try to invent ways of being funny that it just they oh, just Sandra don't Bullock is working so hard oh they just don't work none of it works it's just really terrible anyway it's a it's a it's a Blu-ray 3D Blu-ray DVD and ultraviolet combo set it's got everything on it for people who just have to be completists and cannot imagine owning the two despicable me movies without this but i gotta warn you you're better off yeah your your kids are not gonna like it you're not gonna like it it's just it's a it's a real stinker yes pretend like it didn't happen this is 90 minutes in heaven uh which is a a blu-ray dvd release of a movie that came out a while michael polish film Mm. Uh, Hayden Christensen and Kate Bosworth. Michael Polish, I think, is married to Kate Bosworth, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. A, a, a great film from a couple of years ago called Twin Falls, Idaho. Idaho I Twin think. Falls, Idaho. Well, the Polish the brothers. Twins, yeah. The Polish brothers. Outstanding stuff. This is supposed to be based on a true story about a man, a young man who has a horrible car crash, uh, claims to have gone to heaven uh, during that period uh, that he was dead, and then comes back from all of that sort of lucid. It's 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 a, it's. Kind of like one of those sort of uh, Christian uh, faith-based films uh, yeah. that we talk yeah. about every couple of weeks or so yeah. here. It, it falls into the realm of that, which is a little bit interesting to me, given this particular cast. Hayden Christensen, also interesting to be thinking about as we bear down yeah. on the release of a Star Wars film. And uh, got a uh, couple of things here. Um, some Kind of Beautiful. Actually, I got a couple of documentaries, and then I'm going to talk about Some Kind of Beautiful uh, right now before I get to those. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, I have to admit, even when he's not doing very good movies, I'm kind of enjoying how loose he is in, in the movies that he does. You know, he's just sort of, he's just kind of happy-go-lucky. And if, even if it's a bad movie, he smiles and he has fun doing it. And I can forgive that. I really can. Pierce is an interesting guy. If you think about Pierce, I go all the way back to Remington Steele. Yeah. That's how far back. Yeah. Way back. Yeah. Talked about Pierce playing Bond. 
way back then. Yeah. Remington Steele, the, the folks there wouldn't let him go. He couldn't play Bond. Timothy yeah. Dalton ended up taking that That's Bond true. spot. Uh, two movies, maybe, I think Timothy yeah. did. Maybe License yeah. to Kill and maybe something else. Oh, yeah. It was uh, License to Kill and, and the other one. And the other one. Yeah. Uh, uh, they talked about they talked about Pierce again, you yeah. know, uh, mm-hmm. right, right, right at that period. Finally, finally, he gets his he, he works his way around to that Bond period. Yeah. Had suffered some really, really big tragedies in his life. Lost his wife yeah. uh, during that period and, and eventually lost his daughter. So I think you're right. By the time we get to the Pierce Brosnan that we have today, today this is a guy that's been through it all. All of that pressure of being James we, we, Bond, not being James Bond, being touted to be James Bond, being James Bond, we going about, through all of that. We talked about that terrible Owen Wilson film last week. Yeah, uh, No Escape. No Escape. Yeah. And, and, you know, the best thing about that is Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, you know? Because he's got that Cockney accent, and he's got that, you know, the scruff and the beard. And he's not even trying to be sexy. He's just trying to be an old, you know... He's, he's got those scenes where he like he's he's lascivious and he just wants to go and basically hang out with the hooker and smoke <laughs> opium or whatever, and uh, you know this is this is where he's at and it actually benefits all of these these films. Uh, we're here here he's essentially a, a college professor who's always been a bit of a dog and uh, he decides that he he just wants to um, you know kind of uh, get, start a, a proper life and a family and. Uh, you know, just wants to uh, be a better person, and uh, it's it is um, it is it is a it is an interesting switch for him. Uh, and I got to say, it, it has a really really decent cast. Jessica Alba and Salma Hayek are the sporting actresses who are certainly up to the task. And uh, I just think it's a perfectly charming film. It's not a great film, but you know, everybody kind of uh, everybody sort of. You know, they go through the motions and they, they do a good job, and it seems like it was probably a fun film to make. Sounds good to me. Uh, I have a little bit of the uh, Marvel Universe over here, Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting what's going on. I still haven't seen it. Uh, it's, you know, actually a pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, I did see this movie. Interesting what's going on in the Marvel Universe, given all that's going on in that universe. Mm-hmm. The films, the television programs, the things that are going on on Netflix, Jessica Jones. It's basically a heist film, right? It's basically a heist film. You know, he's yeah. a, you know, Paul Rudd is our hero in this one. He's a guy who's been a bit of a, uh, oh, he's probably been a bit, a bit of a black sheep in his family, has a young son, gets out of prison, wants to do right, can't quite seem to get it together, needs some money. There's a thing that he can do if he does this thing, he'll have some money, ends up with this Ant-Man suit. Uh, which is a kind of a wacky thing. Mm. People enjoyed this movie because it's pretty good. A lot of great, really sophisticated perspective stuff that they do yeah. in order to get us down into the Ant-Man world yeah. and make the rest of that. They do that in this movie really well. Blue, uh, Blu-ray DVD here with all, just all kinds of crap on it, more crap than I can mean, bonus features uh, in every possible direction. Look, if you're a, a completist on that sort of Marvel Universe thing, you're going to want to have Ant-Man. Yep. Uh, here are my two documentaries. One, this is a PBS doc, On Two Fronts, Latinos and Vietnam. This is amazing. Uh, the, you know, we, we often talk about Vietnam, and, and Vietnam movies deal with this as well, as, as a war that was, I mean, for all of its uh, difficult ins and outs, it was a war that it was sort of the first war that actually had fully integrated uh, service. But we always talk about it as, you know, you always see, like, the, the black guys and the white guys in Vietnam together and, and, and how, what that entailed. And, you know, even in, in movies like, like Good Morning Vietnam, right, it's the buddy thing with Forrest Whitaker and, and, uh, and, and Robin, Robin Williams. Williams yeah. But we never really – they don't focus necessarily on the Latino aspect of Vietnam. And there were a lot of Latinos who served in Vietnam, and their experience was very unique and uh, – 
it's not always uh, it, it it certainly is, is is every bit as as difficult and ugly and uh, awkward as uh, as anyone else's particularly and from the Mexican and Puerto Rican community absolutely and this gets into all of that and uh, and you know it, it especially from a standpoint of citizenship uh, it really asks some very salient questions. Uh, the other really good doc here is GTFO, which is all about the ugly side of sexism and misogyny in the video game uh, gamer world, which you know yeah. is is pretty intense. You would you would think, well, why would girls want to be hanging out with nerds that don't want girlfriends or have them anyway? But there are a lot of girls who are gamers and they're nerds and so forth, and their experience in this world is. Horrible. Yeah, well, it has to do with the nature of a lot of the games themselves. And then, frankly, yeah. a lot of these guys in the world, this gaming world, the way it works now, where a lot of the gaming actually happens online, yeah. you know, as opposed to just at your cons- console with your disc, um, you have this sort of interactive thing going on, yet it's, it's interactive with anonymity. Uh, so these, a lot of these, these youngish men, I think that they are, who maybe not, you know, they are anonymous after all, uh, get pretty sexist uh, and outrageous, and things like death threats uh, start to evolve out of this culture occasionally. It's horrible. It's horrible. American Ultra. Uh, this movie, uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, uh, Miss Stewart. Uh, is it worth seeing? Tell me. Yes. This is, a, this, this is an exceptional film. Very bright, very sharp. There's a thing going on here. We have a young man. What, and, and his girlfriend, and they live in in, in, in an everyday small town and, and, and work at the Jiffy Mart or whatever the heck it is, and he's a loser, and, and, and she seems to have a little bit more on the ball, but she seems to be something like a loser because she's with him, and they just can't seem to get out of this town. Um, there's something going on, and the thing that's going on, it's actually very bright uh, and very interesting, and it allows for a sort of Evolution of character, particularly with Jesse Eisenberg's character. Just imagine this: the biggest nerd that you've ever that you've ever uh, met, uh, a, a real loser uh, who works his way around to being something like a Bondian superhero, a James Bond sort of superhero. By the time you get to the end of the movie, when he gets there, legit. What's going on? Gets him there. He just doesn't suddenly know how to use that mm-hmm. uh, M16. <laughs> you know, it's the, great. The, the reason for all that. Neat little movie. This one again, packed with all kinds of special. Features, uh, audio commentary, uh, a couple of different featurettes, uh, digital HD, uh, 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 UV, ultraviolet, uh, watch it anywhere, iTunes, all of that, or just get this Blu-ray DVD. A couple of great uh, releases here from the uh, Criterion Collection. The first one is the uh, Eclipse release. This is number 44 in the Eclipse series, Julien Duvivier in the 30s. Uh, Julien Duvivier, of course, is the great French director who is most famous for another Criterion release, Pepe Lamoco. And uh, he was one of the 30s-era filmmakers, along with Renoir and a few mm-hmm. others, who sort of set the tone for the French New Wave. They were the exceptions to what was, you know, the, the big deal. All, all, of the guy, uh, all of the guys did those French Cocteau, New Wave guys. Yeah, Cocteau, yeah. Rivette would come to... They were, there was that thing, the cinema of quality that the New Wave guys hated. But what they didn't hate were the handful who stood out. And these were some of those, yeah. those guys. And... Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, Duvivier made a lot of films that, of course, have never really kind of caught fire here, but they're worth checking out, and we got four of them on here. David Golder, Poil de Carotte, uh, La Tête d'un Homme, and Un Carnet de Bal. Uh, all of them made in the 1930s, 30, 32, 33, 37, and uh, this is a lovely, lovely box set. Really, really cool films. A, a very powerful uh, filmmaker in, in every respect, visually, narratively, uh, and yet all kind of different in, in many respects. Very diverse. 
And then the, uh, the other one is the long-awaited Criterion release to Blu-ray of the 1952 Akira Kurosawa classic Ikiru, which is kind of like Kurosawa's, you know... Ron and... Well, this is sort of like... I was going to say what I was going to say is this is sort of like his Wild Strawberries. You know, uh, what yeah, Wild Strawberries Bergman, is to Bergman. Yeah. This is sort of to his career. Um, it, you know, a, a, a look at uh, you know someone, a look at aging and life, and very reflective and all of that stuff. Anyway, uh, really a very not very typical film for Kurosawa, and uh, really just a beautiful movie with a wonderful central performance. Um, the uh, it includes a commentary originally recorded by Stephen Prince uh, in nineteen in two thousand and three. The uh, the tra- comment the transfer is just spectacular, fantastic four K black and white uh, transfer. Um, and then uh, some, you know, interviews and a, uh, a documentary uh, produced by Kurosawa's company um, about Ikiro that was also made in 2003. Um, a lot of it's just uh, you know absolutely first rate release, and it's been waited for. Uh, people have been waiting for this for a very long time, so mm-hmm. finally it's out. I, in addition to also a, a part of that Criterion D um, a documentary collection, uh, Bob Dylan's "Don't Look Back in Anger." Dave Pennybaker. Yeah, this is Pennybaker. Yeah, outstanding. Uh, follows Dylan nineteen sixty five. I think it was sixty five tour yeah. uh, of the UK. Yeah, this is that, that all that all that you know uh, with the with the signs, the holding yeah. of the signs. That's from this. That's from all of this. That's, that's been repeated. I mean, that was I, that's iconic. It's been repeated and over and over and over. John Bias is in the, uh, the yeah. performance in this thing. Ninety six is in black and white. Ninety six minutes long. A beautiful, beautiful transfer. A new four K. Yep. Transfer. Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, and all, all kinds of other little tidbits and things that come with this Blue A, uh, Blu-ray uh, Criterion Collection. Don't look back in anger. Uh, you know the. Uh, let's talk about a little. I'm just going to make mention of some some good trash real quickly, Tim. Uh, Mark and I often talk about the the hallmark of Tinto Brass. Mm. Tinto Brass, who of course is most famous here for having done Caligula, but other than that, Tinto Brass made a lot of movies in Italy that really only have one defining characteristic. They all have women who walk around without pants. Yeah, that's it. And I, I in extremely arbitrary moments. And in arbitrary moments, this is called the Voyeur. Perfect title. This is from Cult Epic uh, Epics. This is the uncensored director's cut. And I got this Blu-ray, and I look at it, and I go, "This looks like a Tinto Brass collection," but they don't really seem to be owning it because you know the cover has the the beautiful woman, and then you kind of see in the shadows a woman who's un, unhitching a garter belt and a guy in bed. But they're sort of de-emphasizing it, and then you flip it around. There oh, it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> you flip it around, and there she is. She's she's got her little maid top on, and she's flashing her tush right into the camera. It's and all very Radley Metzger. It's very, just, very, yes, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, uh, <laughs> Tinto Brass. Uh, the Voyeur is based on a, on a novel that I guess uh, has some kind of following. But uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter what it's about. It's just got, it's all that softcore titillation. Uh, and then from the, uh, uh, from Blue Underground, uh, we've got a couple of Jess Franco films. I know Tim has very strong opinions about Jess Franco. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, these are three-disc limited edition uh, Blu-ray releases of the two Jess Franco films, Eugenie, the story of her journey into perversion. It's not just called Eugenie. The whole title is Eugenie, dot, 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 <laughs> the story of her journey into perversion. And then uh, Marquis de Sade's Justine. Um, you know, Jess Franco, like Tinto Brass, wallowed in a certain kind of filmmaking, and it was... Uh, 
it was, uh, you know, very, very, uh, it was, it's softcore, and that's what it is. But he, he somehow carved out a, uh, a field for himself. So uh, these are two of his, uh, his most famous and notorious films. They uh, include, uh, you know, trailers and uh, featurettes and some good interviews, a lot of interviews, actually, with they, Jess Franco. They, they float others. around. The, all those Emmanuels. Remember all those Emmanuels? Yeah, yeah. They were all right so Eugenie, the story of her journey into perversion. I, I, it leaves absolutely no... There's no mystery there. It's just <laughs> it's no journey, mystery. It's a journey into perversion, of course it is. This was the wonderful film, Wade, that you and I had a chance to talk about on Film Week. So good. Back when it came out, Seymour, an introduction, um, a film by Ethan Hawke, uh, yeah. uh, who, who Ethan Hawke actually... It's a documentary. About, about a, an, a, an extraordinary pianist, a uh, legendary pianist, but who has become more of a great teacher... The, Almost the, a great uh, philosopher, yeah, even. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he is a teacher. Uh, Seymour uh, had a had a had a burgeoning career uh, when yeah. he was a very young man, uh, right around World War II. Yeah, he actually spent a little time. Actually, spent he he, he was a prisoner of war. Yep. Uh, and um uh and, and and he talks about that Seymour period. Bernstein. Seymour we, Bernstein yeah. is his name. Yeah. Uh, the great pianist uh, uh, who was known had a very interesting life after that period. Became the protege of a of, of a of a woman who was much older than him, and yeah. he lived with her for a while, and then he simply broke with music, yeah, whole and complete. Fast forward sixty years, uh, he's been he done all sorts of things as he lived his life, and actually grown uh, quite significantly spiritually, and and like you said, as a teacher and a philosopher. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke runs into him at a dinner party, and. And, and finds out who he is and does a little bit of research and realizes... And becomes enamored of him. Uh, this, this is just an extraordinary man who decides to return to the piano at but this it, late moment in his life. What's wonderful is that it's not... This is not about how learning how to appreciate music. It's learning about how to appreciate life through music. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that all great teachers and coaches and all these people... You know, the, the, the thing that people always would say about John Wooden was John Wooden was not a great basketball coach. Yeah. John Wooden was a great life coach yeah. who made you understand how to play basketball better because you understood how to live life better. Yeah. You know, it just it's all part and parcel of that. And it's the only way you can really be happy. And when you look at his life, he separated himself from music because he didn't know how to be happy. Yeah, yeah. And when he figured out how to be happy, he was able to, he underst- was able to go back to, go back to music. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful film. And bravo to Ethan Hawke for, for bringing it out. Very, very, very bright stuff. Ethan Hawke can sometimes get on my nerves just a little bit. Seymour, an introduction, it is called. Seymour Bernstein. Um, a Lego brickumentary. I happened to see yeah. this film back, back when it was out before. This is the this is the Blu-ray. This is actually very interesting to me. It's fascinating. The whole the whole history of the Lego company. The whole history it, of that company and, and how it works and it has worked. Through. I, I I certainly did not know that there was this tradition of people yeah. making cinema. Everything from commercials and yeah. whole feature films out of Lego <laughs> stop little... motion animation. Yeah. Uh, Batman, you know, the entire, just frame for frame out of Legos. Going back in the Super 8 era, people have made Lego movies forever. Yeah, very yeah. interesting stuff. Uh, uh, so Lego, a brickumentary, uh, kind of a neat little film. It this is. This is a Blu-ray. Um, I have some deleted scenes on it and a few other things, not a whole lot. But the, the documentary itself is a lot of fun. Lego, a brickumentary. A few uh, foreign uh, Blu-rays here. Uh, one is uh, the Kino release of F.W. F. Murnau's Faust. 
a, a rather extraordinary uh, achievement, you know, just in, by any standard. It's, it's, it's Murnau in full, you know, German expressionism form, just yeah. really unleashing everything. And it's, uh, you know, it's not as iconic as something like Nosferatu, Nosferatu yeah, but it, it certainly is, uh, I think, every bit as good. And uh, it, it's, it's right up there with all the, with the best of German expressionism. This is from 1930, so it is... It is uh, you know, right there on the on the cusp of silent and sound, but my, what a really it, this it includes a great, great score from uh, a great orchestral score by Javier Perez de Aspecia. It works, sir. Uh, it works, doesn't or it? Or Kazuntai, okay. one or the other. Whatever. Anyway, that was the it's the uh, adapted from the original 1926 score. Uh, just uh, really, just an amazing film, and uh, is so you know, Faust is such a scary story. Anyway. And then, uh, as long as we're on scary, uh, Goodnight Mommy uh, is a film that is so good, I hated every single second of it. <laughs> I really did. I just hate it. We talked this. about Michael Haneke just a few minutes ago. Yeah, this is, this is definitely in the Haneke vein. I don't know what's going on in Austria, but they are a sick and disturbed people, and they... They need to really work out their issues. Well, they did give us it. Uh, this, is written, <laughs> this is written and directed by Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala. Now, Veronica Franz is married to Uli Seidel, otherwise known as Ulrich Seidel, mm-hmm. who makes some pretty sick and twisted those, movies on his own. He, he, he's made some lovely movies, too. The Dog yes. Days and those Lost movies, Paradise made, Loft, Love Lost. But he's movies. made some weird stuff. He's made some wacky stuff. Anyway, uh, and he produced this. And here's, here's basically what's going on here. It's about a, about a couple of brothers who uh, don't believe that their mom, after plastic, plastic surgery, is really their mom. They think their mom is an imposter. So they proceed to devise a diabolical series of, of torture tests to get her to confess to being an imposter and to tell them what, what she really did with their real mom. Yeah. And, of course, she is their mom. And, and there, are, there are some sort of insane twists in this, and it is, it is in no way pleasant to watch at any point. What it is, however, is extremely well made. So I almost don't know what to tell you about this. It is it is like a Michael Haneke film, like a Funny Games or whatever. It is it is pure sadism. It is audience torture. It is art porn. Yeah. Uh, but it's really well done. So I sat there sort of thinking, I'm so impressed by this filmmaking, and I want to punch everyone who decided that this was a story that I needed to watch. <laughs> Psychologically interesting a little bit. I, I got this entire um, The Hobbit... The motion picture oh trilogy gosh. box set over here. Yeah, look, I'm not a I'm not a big Lord of the Rings Hobbit. I like Mark always makes fun of me. I like the Hobbit films better than the Lord of the, the Rings. Well, the, the Hobbit films are better than the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah. That's that's true. Um, I'm, but I was never a particularly big fan of the, of these things. Anyway, uh, the box set is here, uh, digital HD with ultraviolet, uh, so you can watch it pretty much anywhere on all your devices. Um, all three movies. Um, special features do not include a lot, but you do get filmmaker commentaries. Uh, on each one of the films, but uh, and, and, and a bit more. Um, but so you know, if you if you are a completist or just somebody who, for some bizarre reason, doesn't have this yet, this can't possibly be the first time this is out. Wade, right? Uh, it's the first time they're out in a complete box. In a, in a, in a, sing, in a single all, box. In a single volume, okay, yeah. So if you haven't collected them individually yet, you can get them on the box. The box itself, decent looking box, but not nothing particularly fantastic. I don't know. I would I would simply expect have expected more. Yeah. Because it's. The Hobbit. Yeah. You know, some fancy can with you open yeah. it up and maybe 
I'm an sure. orc would pop out or something. I predict that we are going to have a complete Lord of the Rings and Hobbit extended edition of every single one of them set that will come in some giant replica of Middle Earth, and it'll be the size. <laughs> it'll you know it'll be the size of a Subaru and you, with, you, Mar- with a little Martin Donovan. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got Ted two over here too. Saw Ted, loved Ted. Did yeah. not see Ted two to be honest with you. Yeah, Ted two unrated. By the way, is exactly what what this says. Uh, but we want to let you know it's out there and uh, available, and it didn't get really great reviews. No, uh, uh, you know, look, Blue, this is the Blu-ray. It has a gag reel on it. It has some uh, other stuff on it. I don't know. Ted was a very funny movie that I enjoyed quite a lot. Uh, I only need one of those. I don't really need this. I don't need two. <laughs> we don't need the bear again. Mark Wahlberg talking to a teddy bear. No. Uh, a few, for, a couple of foreign films I, I should probably knock out here at the very end uh, is there's an interesting essay film here called Interface, which is by Harun Faraki. Um, and when I say essay film, it's not a documentary, it's not a narrative film. It is a, it's a meditation, you know. And the most famous one I can probably think of is, is, uh, boy, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm there any you know, some Juan Car Y films or something meditative like that? I guess. Well, uh, it, it, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of something that's sort, sort of more. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna start to name some, some what are actually documentaries. So I was, I was off base, but it's. It, they're really sort of. It, there are very few analogies to this. It is um, essentially, if you don't know who Harun Faraki is, Harun Faraki is uh, he's a filmmaker, but he's also very much a, a theoretician in the uh, sort of Eisenstein vein, and he uses a lot of clips from his own previous work to uh, essentially sort of teach you about editing. But it's not really a lesson; it's a meditation. It is. Um, it's a, it's a very unusual way of making a film and communicating what he's communicating. Anyway, uh, it's really worth checking out because it's not just about what the editor does and how he does it and why it's important, but it's very much about the philosophy and the psychology of editing. And it puts you into an interesting frame of mind, and it is, uh, it's really one of the most interesting and unusual movies about the craft that I've ever seen. So it's, it's, uh, I, I really, really recommend it. Um, also recommended is uh, Tsai Ming Liang's uh, Rebels of the Neon God. Uh, the, Tsai Ming Liang, one of the great uh, uh, sort of modern Taiwanese filmmakers, and this is his first film, uh, which, is a, which is a great look at just the, uh, the, the recklessness and the disenfranchised nature of uh, Taiwanese youth uh, in the 1990s. This was made in 1992. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, it's very compelling. It is a very neorealistic look at uh, just, you know, we, always, we, we tend to think of a lot of Asian cities as having really vibrant societies, but they have their, their sort of disenfranchised and disenchanted youth just like anybody mm-hmm. else. And that's what this is about. One of my early interviews uh, was with him for that film. Back in back in '92, I got a, neat, a couple of neat little documentaries over here. One is simply called Steak Revolution. Yes, and this is this is this is about made me want to give up meat uh, all over again. No, dude, this is good. They go out there looking for the greatest. I've never you know, you've never seen so much steak <laughs> in your life. It is an interesting thing though because they go into the whole breeding thing, the nature of all of these different kinds of steers and the kind of meat that these steers produce and all that kind of stuff. That's there. And then I have a neat one that I happen to have actually seen called the called Art of the Heist. This is about the greatest art thefts across history, some of which have never been solved. 
hmm. uh, which is really, and they go through the whole it's thing just, of, of, of how they got into, I mean, it's like a, the Thomas Crown Affair kind of yeah, thing, you know, one yeah. of those kind of things like that. Greatest art thefts in history, some of which were solved, uh, some of which were only solved because the thieves, years later, decided to say, you know what, I got the thing down in the basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we never knew what to do with it. We never sold it. Couldn't never find a buyer. Sell it. Everybody seems to know about it. You can have it back. I'm going to die soon anyway. So, so neat, neat uh, art of the heist uh, inside the world's greatest art thefts from Athena. And then we're going to wrap things out with uh, with a couple here to uh, to. You know, I'm not trying to depress your Christmas holiday. I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying that uh, you know the we have two documentaries that sort of speak to what's going on right now in the world, and this is uh, this is a current event that's in the uh, it's in the news uh, from uh, MVD. We have Meeting ISIS and uh, PBS Escaping ISIS. And, you know, this is, if you're a fan of the old ISIS Shazam Hour, this is not that ISIS. <laughs> I was so in love with her when I was uh, this 12. Is, yeah, I was yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, no, this is ISIS, otherwise known as ISIL, otherwise known as Daesh. Daesh, uh, which is what I prefer to call them. I wish that the I wish did because it's a pun, right? It's like a pun a, in Arabic that they don't in, like. In Arabic that they don't like at all. And, yeah. uh, but it actually has other meanings too that yeah. are relevant. Uh, but here in the United States, for whatever reason, we decided well, to go with ISIS. Both of these are are uh, required reading, uh, required reading, required viewing. Uh, if you want to, uh, if if you want to really kind of get a very sobering view of what's going on in Iraq right now under the uh, under the governance of this this rogue uh, rogue fanatical group, and uh, the the, uh, the 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 difference between them is really sort of cosmetic. Meeting ISIS is uh, is very kind of raw. And uh, goes much more into their ideology and uh, includes some really shocking footage that will make your stomach turn. Uh, Escaping ISIS is a lot more polished, but also a lot more journalistic. It is uh, this is a frontline documentary from PBS, so it gets the uh, Edward Watts from Frontline really kind of gives it the the usual frontline sheen, and they just pour their resources into this thing. And is, one, of the, one of the things that the first one does is that it lays out the development of where ISIS comes. ISIS, and, and most people don't know this, I don't, I don't want to go off onto it, it's yeah. too deep of a historical thing, you watch the movies, please. Uh, but Sunni Ba'athists, yes. who used to work for Saddam Hussein, these people were generals and colonels and all kinds mm-hmm. of people, and that if you look at the top of ISIS, that's who you will find. It will not be these mullahs with beards like in Iran. Uh, and, and These people... Um, are com- are a completely different set of people. So ISIS is not spawned from the sort of thing that we think of uh, Osama bin Laden having been spawned from the sort of religious. Uh, it has um, it has it has yeah. al Baghdadi at the top, but yeah. beneath him orchestrating the actual. You know, it's it, it, al Baghdadi is not a politician. Yeah. Those, those old Saddamites are the politicians. Oh, the old politicians and yeah. generals and colonels and, yeah. and and all of these kind of people. It's a very very interesting thing, which I think that if people knew, if people understood that better. We'd have a much better grip on what's going on. Of course, we're only a week past the events in yeah, San Bernardino, yeah. which is so not very far from it, us here in Los Angeles. It's, so it's very relevant material. For it us. is, conti- and will continue to be relevant for quite a uh, for quite a while. And uh, it gets into you know the Yazidis and all the other uh, minority groups that have been victims of this. So it is. You know, it is a, it is a, it is an ugly part of the present news, but uh, two very good documentaries to uh, to discuss it. And with that, with that high point, um, a week before Christmas, a week before <laughs> Christmas, to give you something to to be thankful for. That uh, those of you who are listening to this, we presume that you live in uh, in in safe places. 
And uh, we will uh, we leave you our very, very best wi- uh, greetings for the season, uh, regardless of what holidays you celebrate. Very Merry Christmas. Hanukkah is past, so uh, we continue to wish you a happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. We'll be back in the New Year. Mark will be back. And Tim, thank you for being with us these last two weeks. I loved it. Fantastic. And, uh, nice, to see, nice to talk to all of you. Send us your, your uh, new intros, your emails, your Vox boxes. Send them all to us at gods at digigods.com. Uh, we hope to uh, have these Synagogue site up and running very soon. We've all been distracted, obviously, by LAFCA, LAFCA voting and, and other things in the holidays, but uh, we can pour our energies into that and get that going very soon. And uh, we, will, uh, we will see all of you in 2016. This is my New Year's resolution When my mother-in-law begins to yell and shout Through the window I would like to throw her out But I resolve not to do it, here is why I'm afraid of hitting someone passing by. This is my New Year's resolution. While I'm at the movies watching a love scene, and the lady's hat is blocking half the screen, I resolve not to shout, take off that hat. I'll remove it gently with a baseball bat. This is my New Year's resolution. When I take a lovely lady out to eat, and she orders caviar instead of meat, I resolve to let the lady have her fill, and of course I'll also let her pay the bill. This is my New Year's resolution. Come on, Sir Frederick Dance. Come on, Come on Sir Frederick Dance. Come on, boy. When I'm sitting with my wifey on a bus And a dear old lady stands in front of us I resolve to be a gentleman discreet I'll politely offer her my wifey's seat This is my New Year's resolution Hey, Judge Rock, how about your New Year's resolution? When my mother says, come in, it's time to eat And I keep on playing games out in the street I resolve to rush right home now when I'm cold. Cause my pop just bought a hairbrush and he's bald. <laughs> this is my New Year's resolution. <laughs> hey, Doodle Sweeter, how about Professor Beetlebaum? On the radio this year, I hope to score with some funny jokes you've never heard before. I resolve not to tell a corny joke. Hello, what's that? The church burned down. Holy smoke. <laughs> this is my year's revelation. Spike, Spike, how about Spike? In this coming year, I'm going to be discreet. Have the slickers playing music soft and sweet. I resolve to treat Tchaikovsky tenderly and set his second movement off with TNT.
Good old present for my baby and for me. <laughs> Merry Christmas. 